Thanks for listening. The following audio is a teaching from Calvary Tucson's Young Adult Ministry, Ignition. For more teachings, information, or if you'd like to support our ministry, please visit us online at ignitiontucson.com. We pray you're blessed by the message. And Father, we want to just thank you and praise you, Lord God, for your love for us, Lord, for your mercies that are new every morning. We thank you that, Lord, you have lavished on us grace And Lord, you have covered us in your mercy that we don't get what we deserve. And beyond that, Lord, you give us more than we deserve, Lord God, more than uh, what's due to us, Lord God. And so we thank you so much for the privilege, the gift of fellowship, the ability to gather in your name, Jesus. We thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you for the equipping and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, that as we gather together as fellow believers, Lord, you equip each individual here to meet needs of those around them. I pray that you'd make us as a, as a church, you'd make us sensitive the, to the needs of those around us and that we would be able to encourage one another, strengthen one another, Lord God, and, and meet the needs of the general body, Lord God, that we would continue to grow in the stature of Christ till we reach that full stature, as your word tells us. And Lord, we thank you for the gift of your Bible, of, of the word. Uh, as we come to it tonight, we once again remind ourselves this is the authority for living. This is truth. This is the intentional Uh, letter that you have preserved for us so that we would learn who you are, so that we would learn uh, what it is that you think and feel and desire even for us. And so we pray again that your Holy Spirit would anoint us to understand the scriptures and that it would really get past, get beyond our minds and into our hearts and really bring transformation every time we approach it. And especially tonight, Lord, as we look to Genesis 47, it's in Jesus name we pray. Amen. Last chapter, Joseph He's reconciled to his brothers, and he was, now, he was then preparing them for entry into Egypt. Remember, he's moving them from Canaan, from the promised land, into Egypt for a time, because God is going to protect them and preserve them and multiply them in the land of Egypt. And as he's preparing them for entry, he says, hey, be sure to tell Pharaoh that you all are a bunch of stinky shepherds. He's going to love that, right? Because the Egyptians are, uh, shepherds are an abomination to the Egyptians, so it's like, why would he tell them that they're an abomination? Why would, he, why would they be so proud and proclaim that? Because Joseph and the Lord ultimately has the plan of keeping the Israelites separate from the Egyptians. They would come into the land, but this stigma of being shepherds would keep them separate culturally so that the Lord would preserve this nation that he's building of, of godly people who will follow his law and follow his, his commands. Uh, and so as they desire to remain separate, it would require them to say, hey, we're shepherds, and be, be forced to receive limitations and scowling and rejection and all that stuff that comes with it. And we talked about how that's very similar to our Christian faith, that you might get some perks by claiming you're a Christian, but there's a lot of people who would actually detest you for being a Christian, especially these days, all over the world and, and in America, right? Right? There are just people, if you say, if you let them know you're Christian, they're just not going to like you anymore. And that's okay. And we talked about how we can embrace any limitation, any exclusion that we receive by professing to be Christ followers, because we know God will use those limitations, those things that seem to be setbacks, the persecutions against us, He will actually use that for our advantage. He will use those things for our good, even as He used it for the Israelites, keeping them separate. We ought not to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was not ashamed of us. He hung 
and, and was a spectacle of open shame, naked and, and bloodied and beaten on a cross for us because of his love for us. How easy is it now at this point to just say, I'm a, to represent him in the workplace or at school or in your family and just say, to name the name of Christ and to live for him. So Joseph's family, they come now before Pharaoh and they're about to have this conversation that was premeditated with Joseph last chapter. And that's where we pick it up right now in verse one. It says, so Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, my father and my brothers with their flocks and herds, all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. And from among his brothers, he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. So remember, Joseph is really presenting his family as like detestable, right? He wants to keep them separate. So it's not likely he took the five good-looking brothers, right? He's probably like, hey, Simeon, you're looking especially abominable today. Who hasn't showered in a week or two? Okay, you five, you're coming with me, right? That's probably what he was doing here. So they stand before Pharaoh, and verse 3, Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? What is your occupation? Now, they, they knew he, they, he, that Pharaoh was going to ask him this question. They knew that they were going to answer. But I wonder if Pharaoh wasn't also just interested in the fact, hey, are you guys actually going to contribute to society as you guys move here? Do you guys work? Because that's a good thing to know if you're going to come into my land. And I, I just want to take a moment because this last week, I found it fascinating. I spoke with a, a home builder. I spoke with a banker. I spoke with a mechanic. And they all, they all told me the same issue right now with, with the economy is that there's no workforce. People aren't working. There's, there's a demand for all these houses and there's not enough workers to build houses. I don't know if you're looking for a job right now, but keep looking because there are tons of jobs available right now. But I want to I explain to you, one of the institutions when God created us was work. Do you realize in the garden, he gave Adam and Eve jobs? to tend to the garden. Work is not a byproduct of sin, although it might feel like that sometimes. Work was an institution from God. It's so important to work to contribute to society. Guys, even if it's just a job you don't, want, you don't see yourself there for a long time, it's just kind of a, it feels like a dead end, or just, you're just kind of trying to make some money on the side, whatever it is, you're not just making a paycheck, you're actually contributing to society. You're playing a part in some bigger picture. That's important. That's really important. He's like, hey, do you guys have jobs? Like, are you just going to be a burden on the, on the land of Egypt, right? What is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds, as our fathers were. They said to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now, please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you, the land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock as well. So Canaan, the land of Canaan is dried up, but Goshen it still looks plentiful. So like, hey, we're people of the livestock. Goshen looks like the prime place. And Pharaoh's like, great, go wherever you want. And hey, why don't you oversee my livestock as well? By the way, side note, they're kind of like capitalizing. This is like a monopoly for the Jews, for the Israelites. Uh, Joseph already oversees the grain distribution. So that's like the cereal, the bread, pretty much the food industry. And now if, if they accept the job, they're going to oversee the meat industry, the tractor industry, right, with the livestock. 
the transportation industry, if they're going to oversee this, it's like they're coming into quite a monopoly. But he's extending this favor to Joseph's family. And it's not because of their reputation. In fact, if Pharaoh really knew those brothers and their history and the things they've done, like wiping out a Canaanite village, right, or selling their brother into slavery as an, as an alternative to just killing him, Pharaoh might not be so favorable towards them. But why is he favorable towards them right now? Because of Joseph's reputation. Pharaoh is receiving these brothers in this family on the basis of Joseph's reputation. And I think there's something in this for us as we look to Joseph bringing, presenting his brothers to Pharaoh and them receiving this type of favor. One is, is that as we stand before the Lord on Judgment Day, as you stand before God to give an account for your life, the only way you're going to find favor in the sight of God is through an association with Christ. Their association with Joseph gave them that favor. And the same is true with us. Look, we've, rep- we've wrecked our reputations. We have. So if you, if you were to take your best day and then take that kind of as your resume in heaven, just your best day, you'd be embarrassed. You'd be ashamed. In light of, I'm not trying to make you feel bad, but in light of the standard of God's holiness, which is perfection, we would be embarrassed to even let that day be seen in heaven. It's the reputation of Christ that gives us favor in the sight of the Father. This is called the doctrine of imputed righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 It says Jesus became sin. So as He hung on the cross, He became the embodiment of our sin, of the world's sin. It says He became sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. So it's kind of like the great switcheroo, I've heard it said. Jesus became the embodiment of our sin. It was the ugliest thing that God the Father had ever viewed on the cross. And it wasn't the brutality of His Son. It was your sin and my sin placed upon Jesus. It says that it pleased the Father to bruise the Son because He became the embodiment of my sin, of all my disgusting shortcomings that have fallen short of the glory of God. And in turn, as I have put my faith and trust in Jesus, guess what? I become the embodiment of the righteousness of God. I know it's crazy. It doesn't, I don't look like it. But as God looks down on me, as God looks down on you who have faith in Christ, He doesn't see you wallowing in sin. He sees you beaming in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We are received because of Christ's reputation. And that's what we see here in this chapter. And I love that Joseph is not ashamed to call these guys his brothers. And of course, Hebrews chapter 2 tells us, neither was Christ ashamed to call us his own, to call us his brethren. He gives us that reputation freely. He shares that with us. The other reminder is Proverbs 20, uh, 22 verse 1. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. Favor is better than silver or gold. And like I said, in heaven you'll actually get a new name. You'll get, you'll get a good name given to you in heaven. And as I said, you will have the favor of Christ upon you. That's awesome, right? It's like a clean slate. This amazing credit given to us because of Jesus' work. But let me tell you, on earth, you still have your name. Like, you still, you still walk around with the same name and people still know you, who you are and what you've done in the past. So you've got to be mindful of your reputation on earth. 
A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. How is your reputation right now? And not just with like the people at church, but what are the people who really know you? Now, we have an intimate fellowship here and we, we chat with each other. We've gotten to know each other. However, sometimes the parishioner-pastor relationship or even the Christian-to-Christian relationship at church can be skewed because you don't get the full picture all the time, do you? Because most of the time we're hanging out at church. And so I get the church version of you guys, don't I? And it's, it's, the opposite is true too. Sometimes pastors can put on their airs at church and you get one version of a guy who might have two sides. Hopefully that's not the case. This is Sean. Hopefully this is what you see if you run into me at the grocery store or whatever, right? The same guy. But nevertheless, it, it can be a little skewed as far as our perception of each other. What about the people you live with? What about the people you've grown up with? What would they say of your reputation? How about your unbelieving boss who watches you really closely? Or your coworkers? What would they say of you? How is your reputation? Here's another question. Would it benefit the reputation of others to say that they were your friend? This is, this is a good question to ask. Now, I look back at my reputation in high school, and it, it wasn't doing anybody favors to be friends with Sean Stone. But I would hope today, like, my relationship with you would benefit you, would help your reputation. Like, I would hope my reputation is that good. That, that you saying you know Sean would give you opportunities and maybe get you jobs, and, you know, not just with the mafia, right? <laughs> hey, you know Shawnee boy? Forget about it, you... Your family now, kid, you know. But like, my reputation could help you. These are, our reputations affect the people around us just as Joseph's reputation affected him. And guys, of course, Joseph had this good reputation. Why? Because he was a godly man of integrity. Joseph built up this amazing reputation with Potiphar, with Pharaoh, because he was a man, a truly a genuine man of God and a man of integrity. Let me give you a secret. Joseph had such an awesome, stellar reputation, not because he stressed about his reputation in the eyes of people. He didn't go around worrying about what everybody thought of him and letting that dictate his decisions. That's not why he had a good reputation. Joseph had a good reputation because he was most concerned with what God thought of him. Joseph was concerned about his reputation in the eyes of God. And when we do that, guess what? God takes care of your reputation in the eyes of man. You honor God, and God will take care of your reputation. God will take care of how you look. And if someone doesn't like you, may it be because you represent God. If, someone does, if you have a bad reputation in the eyes of someone, may it be because you honor God. I'll take that bad reputation all day long. But not that Sean's a jerk or Sean is selfish or, you know, Sean is cheap or whatever bad reputation I might build for myself. God forbid. Joseph gave that, gives us that example. So in this next section here we're going to jump into, it would actually be pretty amazing to be like a fly on the wall in this room because we have really the most spiritually significant man on earth at the time, the patriarch Jacob, interacting, having a conversation with the most powerful man on earth at the time, Pharaoh, king of Egypt. It would have been a really cool thing to, to behold. Verse 7, it says, 
Then Joseph brought in Jacob his father and stood before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my sojournings are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. And they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojournings. So Pharaoh sees Jacob and he's like, whoa, man, how old are you, man? And he's like, I mean, how many are the days of the years of your life? He's trying to be all professional. But he's, he's really thinking, this dude is old. It's kind of funny. It seems like when you're 30s and younger, like you're cool to talk about your age. But when you hit 40s, probably up to like 70s, people don't want to talk about their age. Like they don't want to ask, they don't want you to ask them. But then when you start to get really old, you like to talk about your age again. Hey, ask me how I am, how old I am, sonny boy. You know, I've been on this earth three of your lifetimes, young whippersnapper. And so he's like, he's like, I'm 130 years old. And he's like, and that's nothing compared to my dad and his dad and in the patriarchs before us. Abraham lived to be 175. Isaac lived to be 180 years old. But if you follow the, the family line back to Shem, Hem, and Japheth, Noah, they lived hundreds of years. And even prior to the flood, some guys lived close to 1,000 years old. Methuselah was almost 1,000. These guys lived long, long lives. And if, if you're interested in that kind of thing and the decline of life expectancy and how, how that all happened, you can go back and listen to our earlier studies in Genesis when we talked about that. But we talked a little bit about genetics, how Adam and Eve had all the genes in the gene pool. Like they were not missing anything. They were quite the specimens, I'd imagine, right? But as time has gone on, we've lost genetic information. In fact, it's what makes us all look so different. It's not that you're evolving to something greater. It's actually you're losing. We've lost genetic information. So with that, life expectancy goes down. And there were also conditions on earth that were a lot different prior to the flood that could have and probably did lend to longer lifespans. Go check out that, that podcast, though. It's a great teaching. Um, but he says, hey, I'm really actually young compared to my family. And he says, few and evil have been the days of my life. Few and evil. Um, and to be honest, I'm not exactly sure why he says that. I don't know. I mean, I've read commentary and... People take stabs at it, and sure, he's had tough times, right? He's had some difficult times. I'd venture to say not as difficult as Joseph, but Jacob has had some tough times, but he's also seen amazing blessings. Like, God has provided for Jacob in amazing ways. God has protected Jacob in amazing ways. He has seen God. He has spoken with God. He's seen God move in ways most people couldn't even imagine to see move in their lifetime. And not, not, not to mention that, but he's also pretty old. Like, he's lived old enough to where Pharaoh's like, I don't, I don't think anybody is as old as you in Egypt right now. So it, it makes me wonder, why would he say, it's not really an accurate statement to say his days have been few and evil, right? And it's not an exactly an, an alluring testimony about following God. So you follow Yahweh, huh? The God of, of the Jews, of Abraham and Isaac. Yes, and few and evil have been my days. <laughs> Do you want, would you like to know this God? Well, not, not really. You know? So it, it puzzles me why he would say this, honestly. 
And honestly, nobody really knows if he's being cryptic and spiritual or if he's just an old grump at this point. But people kind of pick one or the other. No, he's, he's not. He's being spiritual. No, he's actually, you know, he's kind of a, he struggled in his faith a bit maybe. But I would say that the spiritual reality of what Jacob is saying is that life really does fall short from what we hope and expect in many ways, doesn't it? And, and that was the case for Jacob, clearly. My days have been few and evil. You've walked with God. Yeah, it's, it's still been few and evil. It's still been tough. And so that's one point I think we can say is that just because you have Jesus, just because you're walking with God and He blesses you and protects you, doesn't mean life's going to be easy all the time. Life can get difficult in Christ. In fact, life can get difficult because of Christ. But I think the other reality is we just, compared to heaven, experience evil and experience timeline. You could live a thousand years on earth and then die, and it would, it's still going to seem temp, very temporal and even short. You could have the most enjoyable life, and you're still not going to be fully satisfied in this, on this earth. And that's because this is not heaven. It's because we are not home yet. I love what C.S. Lewis said about this. He said, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy the most probable explanation is that we are made for another world. I love that. And we are. We are, we are made for something different. This life and its, this, this world in its fallen state will never be enough to satisfy you. You will never live long enough to be fulfilled and satisfied. You could have the blessed life of Jacob, the long life of Jacob, and you'll still say few and evil have been my days in comparison to heaven. I think Jacob's very morbid, depressing statement here is really just expressing that longing for heaven. Guess what? Where life is eternal, it never ends. Where pain and suffering are completely done away with. Where pleasures flow from the right hand of God forevermore. That's where we will find joy, and true joy, and true fulfillment. We get a taste of it in Christ. We can, we can sample it in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, but we will see it and experience it in its fullness when we go to be with the Lord. It's going to be amazing. Verse 10, And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food according to the number of their dependents. Looking at the big picture, this was what God wanted to do. This, is, this was God's intention in sending Joseph to Egypt, was to bring them here to this point. But this is actually a, a neat foreshadowing of what happens in the tribulation period. Another seven-year period of difficulty, God intervenes and supernaturally protects the Jews, takes them away to a special place, a special land, and provides for it. Hey everyone, Pastor Sean here. You've been listening to a teaching from Ignition Tucson, the Young Adults Ministry of Calvary Tucson. Our hope is that through this ministry, your heart would be ignited to live boldly for Christ. If you live in the greater Tucson area and you're between the ages of 18 and 28, we want to invite you out to join us in person. We meet every Thursday at 6.30 p.m. at Calvary Tucson's East Campus on Speedway and Camino Seco. We hope to see you there. God bless.